Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you all today. Um, I want to start, first of all, Mo had alluded to it in the prayer, uh, but this is the last week that um, Daryl Moore is going to be with us. Daryl, would you just stand up real quick? Uh, uh, Would you stay standing? Daryl didn't want to come up to the front. So I didn't tell him that I was going to do this. So I'll just put you on the spot um, from right here. Daryl is a police officer, and he just got a job in Dallas, Texas. Um, And so him and his wife are getting ready to move out there. Courtney is already down there, right, because she started school down there. All right. Um, So, yeah, I'm still talking. He's not. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, just really quick, what's one way that we can pray for you? Man, man that's great, man. I should have had you up here. Now, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, just for the blessing that both Courtney and Daryl have been here to the church. Um, And we pray that as they seek to honor you in their marriage, uh, that you would uh, answer that request, Father. It's something that you want to do. Your goal is to display yourself to the world. uh, And one of the ways that you do that is particularly through marriage. So we pray that they would find a community that can come alongside um, and help them, Father. I pray Uh, that you would help us to remember to keep them in our prayers. Uh, And Father, we pray that you would be with us as we prepare to spend time um, in your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, For those of y'all that weren't here with us last week, we started a brand new three-week series on uh, prayer. And we entitled the series Pray so that it would be unmistakable at the end of the day what the application is that we hope that you would get here at the end. There's three things that we hope that this will do for us as a church. One is we hope that individually uh, it would lead you to pray more. Um, Two, as a community, our hope is that it would lead us to be a community that's full of more prayer. And lastly, we hope that as we spend time in God's word and hear why it is that we should pray, uh, what it is that we're to pray for, Um, and what prayer brings to us that it would lead us to pray more meaningfully. Um, And so I want to start off just with a little bit of the uh, story of my own uh, life. Five months ago, after uh, close to nine and a half years of waiting, my wife and I got a call on a Saturday about a baby girl that had been born. Monday, we go to meet her, and we adopt our daughter. And it was good news because it's we get to adopt our daughter, and it's great. But here's the bad news. The bad news is that she was born premature. Um, and what you find out when you're in a hospital with kids that are born premature is even though they're born, um, you can't take them home because there's a few things that they still have to learn how to do. One, they have to learn how to eat on their own. Um, two, they have to learn how to regulate their body temperature on their own. But thirdly, and most importantly, Um, they have to learn how to breathe on their own. Most times you come in and they're hooked up to a machine to teach them how to breathe. And what you find out, um, especially with being kids in the 
NICU uh, is that something is so basic to their life, breathing, uh, you learn that just because something is necessary to life doesn't mean that it comes naturally for everybody. Just because it's needed uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it's instinctive. Folks just know how to do it. And uh, physically, we can talk about that with our breath, but I found that uh, prayer is much the same way. Martin Luther King puts it like this, and he says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Um, It's been said that no metaphor stands on all four legs, that they all break down somewhere. The metaphor of prayer as breathing probably comes as close as any other metaphor to being able to stand on both legs or on all four legs. That all that it means is that prayer, just like breathing, is necessary to our very spiritual life. We come into the front door of Christianity through talking to God and acknowledging that we're sinners and appealing to him for grace. And that first breath is meant to uh, set the pattern for what the rest of our lives in the faith should be like, but we quickly learn that just because something is necessary doesn't mean it is natural. What we find out is that prayer is as necessary as it is unnatural. There is nothing more unnatural than admitting our weaknesses and crying out for help. So you go through the Bible and you just look at the first people that have face-to-face interactions with God and you see Adam and Eve sin. Distanced from God, God comes down to have a face-to-face interaction with them and gives them grace and, and that they don't immediately drop dead after they sin and do they acknowledge their weakness to God? No, they make excuses. Do they appeal to God for his help and his continued mercy? No, they try to cast blame onto somebody else. Cain kills his brother and is literally caught red-handed by God. And what does he do? He doesn't admit his weakness, nor does he appeal to God for mercy. David, in the psalm that we read, Psalm 32, he starts off and he talks about his sin. And he says that, yo, I sinned. God's thumb was down on me, but I kept silent. And it's not just folks in the Bible. You and I do the same thing. Think of this time, 2016. In a week span, Philando Castile gets killed by the cops. Alton Sterling gets killed by the cops. Five cops are slain in Dallas. What did you see? Churches across denominational lines gathered and they said, we have to pray. We had hundreds of folks on our front lawn praying that week. Fast forward one year, all of those things aren't in the forefront of the news. And how often are all of these churches coming together to gather to pray? Do you see what I mean? Prayer is, we need it to live, but it doesn't come naturally. And we see just how far we are from where God wants us. Uh, not, not when we look at when we pray, 
But as you and I look at all of the things, how much life we live and we don't pray, that all that that does is it shows us is there's times where we feel like we really need God in the midst of crises, but as the rest of life goes on, you and I are content to do life on our own. And it's a shame. Because Jesus is no more encouraging in the Bible than he is when he talks about prayer. The Bible is full of examples that encourage you and I to pray. And they tell us that great rewards in prayer don't come like great rewards in all of life do. Think of the lives that we live. If you want to get a payoff as a musician, you have to spend years working perfecting your craft. Nobody pays to hear some, somebody play. Uh, Mary had a little lamb on a recorder. People pray to see somebody that's an expert at their craft. Athletes, right? Last night, Floyd Mayweather uh, made hundreds of millions of dollars in 36 minutes because of the grueling regimen that he put himself in. You and I tend to think of prayer that way. If I'm going to get this great reward, then I've got to be really good at it, and I've got to work, and and I've got to go really hard, and it's just not true. In the Bible, some of the greatest accomplishments in prayer happen with people that are beginners. Genesis 18, Abraham, who seems like he's a recent convert, repeatedly and reluctantly prays that God would spare a city, and what you see in that story is every time Abraham, with trepidation, goes and appeals towards God, God rapidly and repeatedly says yes. Exodus 33, Moses, a new convert, recent, prays and asks for God to spare the entire nation that he just saved, and God says yes. The disciples 40 days after Jesus raises from the dead, as they're praying, 3,000 people get saved. And all of that is meant so that you and I see that great rewards from prayer don't come just from people that have this grueling routine. The great rewards from prayer come because you and I have a gracious Father. He encourages people that are new, that are bad at it, that aren't good, that can't pray for long times without their minds wandering. He encourages us to come to pray and to see the great results that he brings. And so here's what what I want to spend our time on. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, and you can go on ahead and turn there, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer. Last week we talked about prayer being God's prescription for life in a world that is fallen. Here, Jesus is going to give us a pattern for prayer. And here's what I really want to spend our uh, time on. Often when we think of our shortcomings in prayer, you and I tend to think individually. I don't pray like I should. I really need to pray more. I hope that God would help me to pray better. But Here's what I want us to do. I want to think of not just our shortcomings, but the benefits of praying communally. This is the lens that I want us to see through. As we look at the Bible, we have to be reminded that the Bible was not written to individuals. The Bible was written to a community. So after we see the truth of what 
God wants, the next question that you and I ask is not what does this mean for me, but what does this mean for all of us? And in light of what this means for us, what's the role and the part that I have to play? So as we go through, I want you to ask, what does this mean for us? That's why as a church we speak so much about membership, right? That when we talk about people being church members, it's not at all us trying to exclude anybody from a club. It's us trying to include everybody that says they're a Christian into being a part of a family where Christianity can no longer be a theory, but it has to be tangible and real. It's one thing to say, God has control of all of my money and not feel a responsibility for anybody else. It's another thing to say, God has control of my money and there are people that are part of my church that are in need that I've made myself obligated to. Both of those statements are out there, but only in the context of being responsible in the context of a community is the theory of God has all of me made tangible. And that's what we try to do in the context of the church. So if you feel alone or isolated or there's nobody that thinks of me or nobody that cares for me or there's nobody for me to care for, uh, we're inviting you to be a part of this family or another church family, but don't try to do, do this thing on your own. Matthew 6, my sermon in a sentence, it says this prayer or the pattern for prayer that God leaves for us is this, that we desire God's glory and we are daily dependent on his goods. This is the pattern for a prayer that Christ left for us, a desire for God's glory and a daily dependence on his good. Here's why I start off and say a desire for God's glory. Um, uh, In the past few months, I've read a bunch of books on prayer, and there's this one book called Help, Thanks, and Wow. And the author of the book says, hey, these are the three basic prayers that anybody prays to any higher power. Help, I need you to help me with things that are going on in my world. Thanks, thanks for the things that you gave me. And wow, wow, I can't believe that you were so gracious to display all of these things to me. And in one sense, that's a good framework. In another sense, it shows what our flaw is when it comes to prayer. And it's not that uh, we don't talk to God, but it's that when we talk to God, we're tempted to only talk about ourselves. Help me. Thank you for the things that you gave to me. Wow, I'm grateful for the way that you showed all of these things to me. As Jesus starts off and gives us a pattern for prayer, he does pray about God's goods, but the very first thing that he starts off with is praying that you and I would have a desire for God's glory. So if you're trying to take notes here today, the very first point is a a desire for God's glory. Matthew 6. 9 through 10 says this. Uh, Let let me read the whole prayer and then we'll get back at the end. 9 through 10, 9 through 15. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your offenses. This prayer is split into two halves. The very first half is a desire for God's glory. And look there in verse 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the Bible talks about God's glory, his glory is this. Whatever makes God seen and submitted to. God's glory is the things that makes God seen, that we can see, all right, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. We can see the beauties of who God is. And as a result of seeing his glory, people submit to him and they love and they worship him. What Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians 4 is that the reason why the world does not submit to God is because Satan has blindfolded them. So what he says is that the real problem with with your world, with, with our church, with the world that we live in, is not that you're missing something. It's that you're disregarding someone. So this prayer starts off not with a request that God would give me something, because even if I have all the possessions that I think that I need, I'm still woefully ill-equipped to live life in this world. That is, Jesus teaches us to pray. He doesn't give us a process, right? But he gives us priorities, what it is that we should pray for. Uh, nephew Jackson, he's in the back. Um, and uh, about a year, a year ago, uh, Jackson was one years old, and he came to our house for Thanksgiving. Um, and at Thanksgiving, um, he had cake for the first time. And so every time that he came to our house, he'd, he'd say, uh, cake, right? He'd ask for cake with an exclamation mark at the end. Cake, cake, cake. And we said, Jackson, that's not how you ask. If you really want it, you need to say cake, please, right? We taught him the process to get what he wants. Cake, please. As the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, Jesus is not providing them with a process, If you really want to get what you ask for, then the magic word is in Jesus' name at the end. So, God, I want my job in Jesus' name. That's not what he does here. What Jesus gives them here is not a process. What he gives them is priorities. They ask, teach us how to pray. And he says, here's what you should pray. And the very first thing that we we pray for is God's glory. Look here. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your, your, your. They're praying for God's agenda, but the prayer starts with embracing a few things. One, the prayer starts with embracing relationships. Our Father. In one statement, we're gripped with compassion, But not just compassion from God to us, we're praying to a father, but we're gripped with the fact that we're praying to our father. So in one statement, we are acknowledging that we are both children 
and siblings. We are acknowledging that we're praying to God, but we're praying in the presence of one another. Ancient scholars, they looked at this text and what uh, they said based on the writings of a guy by the name of Ignatius, which was one of the Apostle John's disciples, they said this prayer uh, was a prayer in the ancient church that was used in corporate worship like this. So as the church would gather, they all would pray these things to remind themselves that they are a family. We are a family. So the very first thing is you and I pray, we are reminded that prayer is not just a personal thing where the most important thing is how I relate to God, but as we pray, we are to be reminded that we are personally responsible for other people that are a part of God's family. This is why racism and prejudice is so anti-gospel. Because what it does is it seeks to divide the very family that God created. It comes into a room and it looks at somebody else and says, I'm not praying to our father, I'm praying to my father. And that's anti the pattern that Christ left out here. That's why as we come into this room and see all types of people here, you and I can step back and rejoice and praise God that he's done his work, that he's united a group of folks not based on their experience, but based on their faith, that we don't have to have the same political stances to be a part of the same family. We don't have to have the same background to be a part of the same family. We don't have to interpret what goes on in the media in the same way to be a part of the same family. As a result of what God has done, he's brought us together as family. We embrace that we cry out to a father, which means he's compassionate. And not just that, you and I, we embrace the right posture. That our father is in heaven. And that's more about his power than his position. Where he is, he's the king on the throne. He's at the top of the totem pole, which means this. As you and I go to ask God for things, we don't ask God for things the way that we would ask somebody else who has somebody on top of them. Remember when you were young and you asked your friends if they could go to the movies and they said, well, I've got to ask my mom for first. And now that you're grown, you're asking your friends if they can go. And they say, well, I've got to ask my wife first that what you go to folks and, and, and what takes place is they're saying, I want to do this, but in order to do this, I need to get permission. As we pray this, we are reminded God doesn't need to get permission from anybody. God sits in heaven and he does what he pleases. And so you and I get this, that as we pray to God, we have to understand that you and I have access to great power, right? Uh, Tozer says this, prayer unites God and the praying man in one and says God is omnipotent or God is all powerful and the praying man is all powerful for the time being because he is in touch with omnipotence. That as we pray, you and I have a hand on somebody that is all powerful. So we embrace the fact that, hey, We have access to somebody that has all the power, 
but we also embrace the position that you and I are in. We have access to him. We are not him. God serves us, but God exists for his glory. He doesn't exist to serve us. So as we pray, we know that we can ask God for anything, but we also know that we can demand of him nothing. So in this prayer, we embrace not just the relationships that we're in, not just the priorities or or not just the posture, but we embrace the right priorities. That's God's glory. Really quickly, the three things here is God's honor, his kingdom, and his purpose. Honor. When he's praying, God, I pray that your name would be honored. What he's saying is this, God, I pray that people would see you for who you are and they would rightly submit to you in the way um, that when a bride comes into the room and again, ready to get married, what takes place is the pastor uh, up front says this, all rise. And that's people responding to the glory of the bride as they come in. So what he starts off here is he says, man, as y'all pray, You don't start off praying for your agenda. You pray for for God's. That what the world most needs is that when God walks into the room, for everybody to stand up. How disrespectful would it be for a bride to walk into the room and and the groom side of the family sit down and say, well, I don't think that he should have married her anyways. (laughs) But we're not just praying for God's honor. We're praying for his kingdom to to come. So we start off and we pray, Lord, I pray that people would see you for who you are and that they would respond rightly. God, I pray that that your kingdom would come. God, I'm not so consumed with my own political agenda that all of my time is spent praying for that. What our world needs more than something is someone. And so, God, I pray that people would see you as a king and respond rightly and submit to you. And lastly, God's purpose. God, I pray that your will would be done in the earth. In the same way that it's done up there, completely, joyfully, and quickly. Here's why Jesus starts off and he tells us to pray all of those things. Because what we quickly find out is that our affections shape our agendas. What we quickly find out is that the things that we love shape the priorities in our lives. And the problem with the world is not the absence of God's glory. The problem with our lives is not the absence of God's glory. The problem with the world and in our lives and in our church is an apathy towards God's glory. It's a self-love that's consumed that crowds out the ability to love and care for the things that God cares for. So you and I constantly find ourselves in a world where God's name is disregarded and disrespected from TV to social media to schools to friendships to folks on our job. And the question we have to ask is how often does that make us so angry and mad that it actually makes our prayer lists? We live in a world where it's clear that God's kingdom is not here yet. 
How often does that get us to a place where we feel like, I'm so frustrated, I'm so mad, I can't eat, I can't sleep, there's nothing that I can do, so God, I have to pray about this. Same thing with God's will. Here's what does make our prayer list, though. Here's what does make us mad. How do you feel when you get disrespected? And your name isn't treated like you think that it should be treated. How often does somebody do an offense to you and it's so hard for you to let it go and you just stew and you're mad and when you get to the point where you can't take it, then you pray, God, I pray that you would help them to treat my name like it should be treated. Or when our kingdom, the things that we spend our time trying to work towards our careers, our jobs, our relationships, when they start to collapse, how quickly do you and I say, God, I pray that you would keep my kingdom from collapsing. I don't know all of you in this room, but if you're anything like me, what makes you most upset at God is when there's something that you really want to do and his will crosses your will. And then we spend time and pray, God, I I pray that this would really work out. And all that that shows us is this, look, the error of prayer is not just when you and I pray for like bad things, like we think like, um, all right, God's definitely going to say no if I rob a bank and I pray, God, I pray that I wouldn't get caught. Um, So I'm just going to spend my time praying for good things. Listen, the error of prayer is not just Uh, praying for immoral things is bad and praying for uh, good things is good. But even if you pray for things that are personally moral, but yourself is always at the center of all of those, those are the type of prayers that Jesus is trying to distance us from. That you and I start off not with a desire for our glory, but with a desire for God's glory for his agenda to come, for his will to be done here in the earth. Self-centeredness, loving ourselves, it's like gravity. Regardless of how much you try to jump or get away from it, it constantly pulls you back down. This type of prayer that Jesus is praying is a prayer that flies, and you and I don't fly. We need assistance, divine assistance from God to be able to get away from ourselves and to pray in the way that Christ teaches us how to pray. This is not just a prayer that can be parroted. Say these words and it's going to be fine. Like if our hearts don't want it, we're never going to give give ourselves to the agenda that God does. Now, I just want us to take a step back and to look how a desire for God's glory or what a a desire for God's glory actually does to a community of faith. James chapter 4, it's going to be here on the screen, and it says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you don't ask. 
And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on yourselves. What James says is this. Here's what's at the heart of conflict in any community of folks. And it's this. Conflicting affections. Competing passions. Everybody wants something different. And when they don't get what they want, they're mad because somebody else has what they want. And then when they don't get what they want, they pray and they ask God, God, give me the things that I want. And James is going to go on to say, God's not going to give you that because God is not in the business of funding idolatry. God is not going to give you something that he's confident that you will put all of your hope in and forget about him. That, that, that wouldn't be gracious of God. That would be entrapment. And James says, Yo, as long as you have a community where everybody's setting their own agenda and everybody's affections is on what they want, you're constantly going to have people that fight. Because your community is going to be made up of sinners that sin, and sinners that sin against you. And if your desire and passion is for your glory, for your name to be respected, then what you're quickly going to find out is that being a part of a church is a terrible place to be. Because people are sinful still. And their sinfulness will often be directed at you. And as long as that remains, it is a threat to your joy if your joy and hope is in being made much of. So you'll be filled with resentment against people that do you wrong. In your marriage, you'll be filled with resentment against your spouse that doesn't love you like you think that they should. In a church, you'll be filled with resentment against people that disregard you and don't give you the, the respect that you deserve. It's a huge disadvantage. But if all of our agendas and if all of our affections are set on God's glory being made much of, do you know what takes place? Even sinful responses are an advantage to display God's glory. Has God's glory ever been displayed in the face of gross injustice and sin committed towards somebody? Absolutely. On the very cross, Jesus, innocent, being murdered by people, cries out to God, and he doesn't cry out for God's misery to fall on all of them. He cries for God's mercy in the light of the fact that they've sinned. So what you find is that even in being sinned against, that's actually an opportunity for the greatness of God's glory to be displayed. So what takes place when a church comes together and everybody is praying that God's name would be seen as holy, that his kingdom would come here on earth, that what takes place is in the church we're an outpost of the kingdom of God and what we can show to the world is how would you like to be a part of a place where even if you offend somebody, 
that doesn't necessarily cut the relationship off. A community where people are free to be who they are, but they're free to be forgiven and in close relationship. This is what a prayer for God's glory does. Even in trials, especially in trials, the glory of God is put on display as you and I pray for God's glory. But our prayers don't stop there. We don't just pray for God's glory, but you and I have desperate need for God's things. So Jesus moves on and talks about this pattern of prayer is not just a prayer for God's glory, but it's a prayer of a daily dependence on him for his goods. Look here at verse 11. It says this, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Really quick, we see three things here. The very first thing is Christians are called to pray for God's goods. That all of these things that he's praying for, daily provision from God, pardon, forgiveness, protection, all of those things are him recognizing that these are God's and it's us praying that God would give us all of those things. The ironic thing about all of those things is that all of those are things that God freely provides, but it's things that you and I are tempted to get to to get by ourselves, and once we get those things, we're tempted to keep them to ourselves. We're tempted to spend our time thinking that we're fed by the work of our hands. And then when we have what we've worked for, isn't it so hard to let it go? We're tempted to think that you and I have to work for the forgiveness of God to pay him back, and once we've worked for it and we're convinced, we may not say it with our mouths, but we're convinced... God forgave me, not just because I stopped this sin, or not just because Christ died on the cross for me, but I know God really forgave me because I've stopped this sin. And I don't slander, and I don't gossip. And then when we run up against somebody that does that to us, how hard is it for us to give that same free forgiveness to those that come against us? Protection, it's easy for you and I to think that we live holy because of the work of our hands and the work that we put into it. So it's easy for us to look down on people that struggle with the things that you and I used to. Jesus tells us to pray to God for all of these things, one, so that you and I recognize that they're God's. We are his children. And when we think of the fact that we're his children, you and I are to think not that we're his grown children, We're his toddler children. We're big enough to be able to articulate what we need, but we're not big enough to get it for ourselves. Anytime a toddler tries to get or do something on their own, they just make a bigger mess of things. It's the same with all of these things. As we pray, we're to pray for God's goods to know that they're his, and we're to depend on him for all of life daily to know that these things cover our entire existence. 
We're to pray for the food that we need presently. We're to pray for God to forgive us of our past debts. And we're to pray to God to protect us from future harm. Here's the beauty of us as a church praying for what we need right now. It's like my daughter wakes up and as she cries out, her cries are not, uh, Dad, I'm concerned about your 401k and I don't think that I'm going to eat three years from now. So that's why I'm crying. She gets up and she cries because she's like, Dad, I need you to just give me what I need right now. And she gets what she needs. And once she's provided with what she needs right now, she doesn't fret over the future. She smiles and laughs because she lives in the moment. This is the gift that you and I have from God. That you and I can actually live and enjoy the day that's right in front of us. A lot of our anxious concern comes from you and I being concerned and worried about if God will provide for us for a day that he hasn't even promised us. And we disregard that the day that we're in right now, he's actually provided for that day. This is a gift that you have to not fret the future and to enjoy the present. And then he goes on to forgiveness. And this is a huge one because what we find out is that in praying to God for forgiveness, we are not asking him to lower the bar to something that you and I can do for ourselves. We are saying, God, there is a debt that's too big to pay. And what we see in the Bible is that forgiveness always comes by a pardon from God and never comes by how well you and I perform. Jesus performed perfectly so that you and I could appeal to God for forgiveness based on his track record, not ours. So that you and I could appeal to God for forgiveness, not based on on how well we say we'll perform in the future, but how well he actually performed in the past. And here's what I love about God and all of these things. Um, When it talks about forgiveness, you'll notice that he says, God, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven others. The hallmark of really experiencing forgiveness is how it's shared. So when God gives us these gifts, um, God is, is, is not like you and I. We give gifts to folks and we get offended when they re-gift them to somebody else. Hey, have you ever been at a party where you gave somebody a gift and then like they give a gift to somebody and you say, hey, that blender looks exactly like the one that I got you last year. What's worse is when you give a gift to somebody else and time goes by and they forget that you were the one that gave them that gift and they re-gift you that gift. All that that says is I didn't value what you gave me so therefore I'm going to give it out. Uh, Forgiveness is not like that. Forgiveness and all of God's gifts actually grow our appreciation of it to the extent that we re-gift those things. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us the bread that we need for each day. And on the front, he attaches a sign that says not for resale. You and I were never meant to keep it to ourselves. We were meant to show our appreciation for the forgiveness of God in the way that we 
give that. And here's a tangible, a tangible way for us to begin down the path of forgiveness, especially in our prayers. That as you and I pray for God to forgive me of my sin, uh, we try to model uh, the prayer of confession here as a church each week or close to each week by having somebody come up front and as they're praying for forgiveness of sins, they use plural pronouns. We, us, our. Is that I'm not just asking God to forgive me of my sins, but I have the community of faith in mind and I'm pleading that God would forgive us, that he would give us mercy. If there's somebody that you find it incredibly hard or impossible to forgive, the very first step that you can take to work towards forgiveness is praying for God's mercy for them instead of misery to fall on them. How often do the people that you have been so hurt by, how often do you pray for them by name? And ask that God would have mercy on them. That God would bring them to confession and to repentance. I think this is what Christ gives us in this prayer. And lastly, praise, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All that is, is saying that we're all outmatched when it comes to the enemy that wants to destroy us. So in order for us to be faithful to God and to be a glorious community, we have to sit back and pray that God would keep us faithful. And here's what that does. It reminds us that you are not anybody's savior. Jesus is. So as people come to us with their problems, we don't just give out advice about what it is that they should do all the time or how they should fix their life. As they come to us with their problems, struggles, and temptations, now we take those problems, struggles, and temptations to God. And what a prayer like this does with people that daily depend on God for his good, it turns a greedy community that would hoard all of their stuff into a generous community because we know that all that I have came from God anyway. So I can freely give it all knowing that God's going to provide me with what I need. We look at Acts 2 and we are wowed about how a community sold all their stuff and provided for all those that were in need. But we skip over verse 42 where it says, this is a community that devoted themselves to God's word and prayer. That it's hard to pray that God would give us what we need and for you to get more than you need and to look at somebody that has less than what they need and not assume that God answered his prayer for providing for all of us by giving you more than what you need. It turns a graceless community where everybody is resentful against people that have done them wrong into a gracious community that by the power of the gospel forgives sins as freely as Christ has forgiven their sin. That if we're ever to put it on a scale and compare how much God has forgiven us for and how much we have to forgive somebody else for, 
the scale never tips in a way that justifies our anger and unforgiveness. And if it does, all that that means is we're maximizing the sins of people and minimizing our own towards God. It turns a community that's average in the way that they display God's glory into a glorious community that's depending on God to keep them safe. And here's one practical way that you and I can do this. It's easy for us to find ourselves in a community where we confess our sins to one another and after we've done wrong to confess what we did wrong and pray for God's grace. Do you know what's much harder but much more beneficial? Not just confessing your sins, but confessing your temptations to somebody else. Hey, I just want you to know this is where I get tempted. I just want you to know that, you know, I come in and I become a part of this church and I hear about family, but I don't experience that same family and I get incredibly lonely, especially on the weekend when I look on Instagram and I see everybody else that does stuff and I'm just by myself. And it's in those times that I'm most tempted to turn from God. Would you please help me and pray that God would protect me in those times? It's embarrassing to share where we're weak, but like we talked about last week, embarrassment and humiliation is the currency that purchases authentic friendship and deep friendship. Confess your temptations. And I think in all of this, as Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer and he tells us to pray for God's glory, and to pray for a daily dependence on his good, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to point his finger to the types of prayers that God answers and says yes to so that you and I would see the faithfulness of God as we pray for and look for him to do those things that he said. Our problem is that you and I, like infants, tend to look everywhere else but where somebody's pointing. And, and then we get mad and upset when we don't see the faithfulness of God that he promised. It may be very well that we're neglecting the pattern and we are neglecting to look at the very place that he's told us that God wants us to pray. So here's how you and I do that. Here's just a few practical ways that we can do that as a community. The very first one is this. Patterns. God's patterns of prayer, of desiring God's glory and depending on him for his good. Patterns are just meant to form a shape. Patterns are meant to be filled in with particulars. So what we don't do is we don't just recite this prayer verbatim each morning. But what we do is we find particular ways that we can fill this in and continue to pray for these things. One of the most practical ways that we can do this and one of the most neglected things that we tend to do even as a church in a community is to ask the simple question, how can I pray for you? It's not rocket science, but it's so beneficial. And so here's what, here's what I, I, I want us all to do. Whenever anybody shares a frustration, a burden, a problem, a discontentment, 
before we get into the advice that we're going to give, just let that be a trigger in your mind to say, how can I pray for you? And to ask that question so much that it actually becomes second nature to you. And when you ask that question, uh, pray for it right there. The beauty of the instruction that Christ gives us is he tells us that our prayers are not to be measured by their length, but by their strength. That you and I can pray these short, intense, concise prayers and pray them to God. So that means is if you have the time enough to say, I'm going to be praying for you, um, you can actually not say those words and actually pray for people right then and there. And as we pray for all of these things, you and I will have ample opportunity to see the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God in answered prayer um, actually serves as the fuel to continue to pray. As we close, here's the last encouragement that, that, that I can give you about this text and the pattern of prayer that God lays out. Um, prayer, like we talked about last week, at least these petitions to God to ask him to do those things that he said that he would, um, is not like the non-perishable food items that are in your pantry at home, right? Like there are cans of green beans that I'm sure have been in the back of my mom's pantry since I was six, right? And they're still good, that they're just going to last. Uh, Prayer like this, uh, it has a shelf life. There's an end date to prayers like this. Think about it. One day, you and I are going to have no need to pray that God's name would be honored because Scripture says that there will be one day where the skies crack, Christ comes down, and every knee will bow. There's going to be a day where you and I won't have to pray for the kingdom of God to come because it'll be here in full force and in full strength, and there won't be any more poor or racism or injustice. There's going to be a day when on the earth God's will is done perfectly. There's going to be a day where we won't have to daily appeal to God for bread because his very presence will be the thing that sustains us all. There's a day that's coming where you and I will never have to forgive anybody for any sin because God For all of those that have put our faith in Christ, God will remove from us the capacity to sin and offend one another. There will be a day where you and I won't have to pray for protection from falling because God will cast the enemy of our souls into hell forever. Jesus is saying you can pray all of these things because one day God's going to make good on all of them. And so in the meantime, you and I can pray and be, insu- and be assured that every time that we pray, God is inching closer to that last day and providing us with reassurance that prayer actually does something. My prayer is that we would be a prayerful community. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again um, and ask that you would just make us those that are full of faith, Lord. God, I pray that you would 
remind us that uh, the freedom that we have to pray to you is not that we've performed well, but we can pray to you because of the work that Christ has done, Lord. Uh, Outside of Christ, there's uh, none of us that would have any standing to ask you to do a thing. But through Christ, Lord, we, we can ask you for great things, for big things. And we pray that we would do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, we pray that we wouldn't be the focus of our prayers. Help us to love our brothers and sisters well in the way that we pray for them. Give us grace as we do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.